Sometimes the way we think about being a Christian can be pretty abstract, a set of ideas. And so try and ground it more in the experience of our real lives. We have thought about our life taking on five different areas. These five different parts of our lives, so our relationship with God, the good news he wants to bring, our membership and belonging in a community of his people, the church, our everyday life as we go about just getting through life and then the mission, the, the purpose God has for us to overflow into other people's lives. And in each of those areas we need to be secure in God. He wants to be our basis of security. Now if we are not secure in God we resort to other ways of trying to feel secure. So especially in the first couple what we tend to do is we have a religious mind, a religious way of thinking and in the other areas we turn to a materialist way of thinking. But what God says that he wants for us is for us to have a renewed mind, for our way of thinking to be made new because what Jesus has done. So what we're going to do over the next number of weeks is we're going to look at all of these five segments and we are going to find things to help us renew the way we think so that we become secure in God in those areas. We don't get secure in our religious activity or our uh, things we can see, touch, do and our own abilities, but we become more and more secure in God. So we're starting to, to think about our security in God and our relationship with him. We want to think about what's he like, how does he feel about us, what is he doing in our lives. This area of life is really interesting because this really shows up the difference between information and experience, I guess, you know, or information and belief. Because one of the first pieces of information we learn about God when we look at the Bible or go to church is that God loves us. We can have that piece of information, but for that to become something that we truly believe is a whole different matter. And there's really no way I can say anything or anyone can say anything to make us suddenly realise this is just not a piece of information but I really believe it. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at bits in the Bible to help try and I guess just saturate our thinking so it becomes renewed and we start to truly believe that God is crazily in love with us. Now some of us have a head start on this, some of us have had fantastic experiences of parents and friends and other relationships that have helped us really believe in unconditional, grace-filled love. And some of us haven't experienced that and we might have further to go. But wherever we are, it is God's intention for us to know this, to believe it, and to have our thinking renewed so that we are secure in this. Now, it's also possible to feel a little bit complacent about this. This is the basics, isn't it, that God loves us? And yet, if you think, if we were truly secure, completely secure in God, the creator of the universe, and his love and acceptance for us, we wouldn't need any sort of validation from any other source. You know, we wouldn't need validation from our successes, or our abilities, or our looks, or we wouldn't care what other people think about us. And it can be a really interesting question to ask God for him, if we feel like we're doing pretty well, to ask him where we can grow in this. And just to ask him to show us in the week ahead different places where we realise that we are pursuing validation from somewhere other than him. And maybe that's something you might want to think about doing 
to give God an opportunity to grow and stretch us in this area. Now today, what I want to do is think about a phrase that sometimes you might have heard in church that is used to convey how radically deep God's love is for us. And people sometimes say, if you were the only person in the world, God loves you so much, he would have still died for you. Now that verse isn't in the Bible, but I want to think about that today. Is it true? Now I said, if we are not secure in God when we come to our relationship with him, what we do is we retreat to, or we use a religious mind, our religious way of thinking. The religious mind is all about maths. It's if I do X number of good deeds and Y number of bad deeds, as long as X is bigger than Y, then I'm okay and God likes me. Or if I tick everything off on this spreadsheet once a day and do all these rituals or these ceremonies or whatever it is, then I'm okay with God. That is the religious mind. And it feels like it makes sense to us. And so what we want to do is think in mathematical terms. And so when it comes to God dying, the idea of Jesus dying for billions of people makes mathematical sense to us. But the idea of God dying just for me doesn't make any maths sense. And so this is something that I want to explore with today's story because it helps us see the radical depths of Jesus's love for us. So we're going to look at Mark 3, verses 1 to 6. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was Sabbath, Jesus's enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. In this story, the man with the shriveled hand is completely insignificant. He is only known to us by his deformity. We don't know his name. But Jesus notices him and Jesus acts with him. I once went to a conference and a man was talking, the speaker was talking about how he understood God loving him. And he said he always had this problem, this maths problem, this religious problem, because he thought Jesus died for everyone. And so what that did is that opened up heaven and allowed a great crowd of people to go into God's presence. And he felt like he was just one of those crowds. He'd kind of been rustled in with all these other people into God's presence. But he didn't really believe that God knew his name. He didn't believe that God had noticed him. He was just part of one of a mass of people who'd got in there. And I could really relate to that. See, in this story, Jesus doesn't just see the crowd. He noticed this man and he draws him out. And then we think about the implications of this man's issue. He had this deformed hand, but it wasn't anything urgent. He had obviously lived with his hand for a long time. He was going about his life. Obviously, it wasn't as good as it could be, it wasn't like he was at risk or about to die from it. And so, again, with a religious way of thinking, if you do the mass, you think, we'll just wait 24 hours, do it tomorrow. Do it when the Sabbath isn't on, 
you know, or just leave it a little bit. He's been fine. What's going on? But for Jesus, there is an urgency. His love drives him to an urgency for this guy. And then finally, there's the cost. This is the first time in Jesus' life that anyone talks about killing him. The Herodians and the Pharisees were enemies, but they band together to talk about how they can kill Jesus. So in a way, it is from this incident with this one insignificant man with this non-urgent issue starts the route for Jesus to his death. I think this is the closest you can get in the Bible to looking at somewhere and finding a place where it says Jesus would just die for you or for me, for one person. This one insignificant man with this relatively minor problem who Jesus will step out and do this even though the cost is his death. Over the Christmas holidays, our dog Belle, who has featured in a number of these videos, had her gallbladder explode, rupture inside her, and she had to be rushed to uh, a hospital in Bristol, a doggy hospital where they were gonna do surgery. And so this makes no sense if, you don't, if you're not a pet person, and uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you are, but what happens is you get phone calls saying, uh, this is a thing with your dog and we can fix it or we can do surgery. We don't even know if it's going to work, but it is going to cost this much money and it is mega bucks. It's a lot of money. And suddenly you find yourself having to value the life of a dog, a dog with a brain the size of a satsuma. You know, that's what we're having to place a value on. It's an interesting position to be. And this is where we get to when we think about how much God loves us that the creator of the universe, who has everything, how much value would he place on you or on me? How much value would he place on a man with a shriveled hand? He loves us so much he would place his whole life on it. The suffering, the pain, the torture, the execution. This week, let's reflect on the fact that we are not insignificant to God. He knows our name, he knows our circumstance, and his love drives him to action. Lord, we cannot make ourselves know how much you love us. We cannot make ourselves believe it. Lord, we ask that you would reveal, increasingly reveal it to us as you renew our minds. This week, show us places where we are struggling to be secure in your acceptance, your approval and your love where we are insecure, where we are trying to solve it our own ways, help us instead turn to you and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, Amen.